0: Amen, and please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We are now two weeks into a new series. You can also find the text this morning on the insert that came along with your bulletin. This morning we will be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 looking for hope during trying times. The church in Peter's day, the church to which he writes, was facing levels of persecution that many of us can hardly grasp. This particular group of people in Asia Minor had been scattered, dispersed, sent away. And even so, we can recognize That while our persecution and what we face as Christians today may not equal theirs, more and more Christians are not welcome in the workspace, in the academic world, and even holding their own beliefs to themselves. It's true that the gospel is becoming more and more offensive. And yet, it is still true. And it is still our hope. And it is that very gospel which the world finds offensive that we desperately need, and so do they. And so we look for, we long for something real, something to hold on to, something that we can place our faith in, that we can rest in. We need something concrete. And what Peter lays out for us in this book, and especially during our time this morning, is the very thing we need is Jesus Christ. You will find nothing more real than He. It is with that goal in mind, I invite you to look with me as we read from God's Word this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll read verses 3 through 9. This is the Word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass may wither, and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And it will accomplish everything he has set out for it, even in this very hour. And I invite you once again, please go with me to our Lord, as we ask him to do that very thing he has promised. O Lord our God. We call upon you to fulfill your word this morning. Your word has gone forth. Now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Open eyes, ears and hearts that we might receive it. Draw sinners to yourself. Convict us of our sin. Strengthen us in our faith. Encourage and empower us to live and to love. As fellow believers of the gospel. And may that truth. That we serve a true and living God be our ultimate source of hope during times of trials and difficulty. We pray all of this, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In his introduction, the first two verses, Peter laid out that the hope we have is and must be a hope in Jesus Christ. He further explains that the church he is writing to, and us as an extension, are Full of sojourners. United by the good news of the gospel. They had been dispersed all over Asia Minor. And yet he writes to them as one. Because they were brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we too join in their legacy. We unite ourselves with them. And we cling to the same hope that they had. In this next section, verses 3-3. Um, through 12, really, in in the Greek, it's one sentence, Um, but we will take two weeks, Lord willing, to unpack this, this week looking at uh, 3 through 9, and then uh, next week, Lord willing, uh, 10 through 12. Peter will, will further his introduction by explaining what it means to trust in a living hope. And what that living hope does for your life. Because it's, it's not just to say we trust in a hope. We trust in a hope unto. We trust in a hope that acts. We trust in a hope that works. We trust in a hope that leads us somewhere. We will begin that discussion this week and we will continue it next week. But really, this morning we're going to see two different sections in our text. Verses 3-5, through five, Peter anchors our living hope in the gospel And then in 6 through 9, he uses that gospel to speak of characteristics that we will receive from it. It's important to remember what we have and who we are before we examine what we must do. If we get this backwards, we fall risk of believing it is our service that defines us. But it is only because of God who loves us and displays his mercy upon us. Our hope is grounded upon the Lord. This morning, I want us to consider the living hope that we find in our text in two aspects. It's As a little bit of a misnomer. Um, it is a two-point sermon, but uh, point two has seven sub-points. Um, so it, but I didn't think we were ready for a nine-point sermon this morning. So two points. Two points. Verses three through five, our living hope is bought through the resurrection of Jesus And then 6 through 9, and we'll just scratch the surface on how that applies to our lives. How that living hope empowers us to live as Christians in a world full of suffering and of trials. Jesus. And Jesus empowering us to live. That's what we will focus on this morning. And let's do so by looking at how our hope is bought through the resurrection of Christ. And Peter changes course here in our text from uh, verses 1 and 2. He's offering a blessing to the people. And then verse 3, the start of verse 3, he shifts immediately to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this shift, it provides clarity as to where he is headed in the next several verses. And from that, we learn a few things. First, there's a focus on God. And there must be, we must not focus on ourselves, on our circumstances, on our trials, on our hardship at the expense of focusing upon our God and Savior. And so Peter rightly orients us, he begins there, blessed be God, put your focus there. Another reason that he did this and another aspect of it is that it unites Peter to the church. Remember, he's writing as an apostle, he's writing as one with authority, but he's writing as one who shares in their experience. He shares in their hope. He doesn't preach to them something he himself doesn't believe. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that in Scripture, um, around the time uh, that Paul writes, there are people calling themselves super-apostles. And these super apostles were using their authority to say, here's what you should believe. You've got it all wrong. We've got it figured out. You need to follow us. We've got it together. And it's interesting uh, when you see them, and especially when, when Paul writes against them, he says, no, I speak plainly to you. I teach you a simple message I teach to you the gospel and the gospel alone. You don't need anything else. There is no other way. There is no other hope. There is no other strength. And we see Peter doing similarly here. He's not saying, I've got it all figured out. I'm saying, we're in this boat together. We worship the same God. The third thing the shift does is it centers our hope even more specifically, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And this will be the heart of of Peter's message this morning. And he's doing something very clever here, if you caught it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's chosen his words very carefully. This is a very rich theological statement. You see, in this time... Not only was there physical persecution, but the church itself was facing false teachers left and right. People misunderstanding and misrepresenting the gospel. People questioning Jesus, questioning his deity, questioning his humanity. Every aspect of his life was being pulled apart in order to make it make, it make sense in a worldly way. And Peter is saying very clearly and very definitively, Jesus is the Son of God and God Himself. He is Lord, Savior, Redeemer. With that comes everything Jesus promised. All of the prophecies, all of the promises, all of the expectations have come true in Christ and will come true for the church. Peter Is defending Jesus here, not that he needs defending, but in order to encourage the church, he's saying, this is who I present to you. Trust in him. And with that setting the stage, he goes on to explain what exactly this Jesus has done to warrant such a title. He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we consider the holy God, one of the first thoughts that should come through our minds is that it is by his mercy and his mercy alone that we are born again. If you were with us through our study of Genesis, you remember in the life of Noah, he was a righteous man. Noah didn't declare himself righteous, God did. God said, you are righteous, now live for me. Peter is saying the same thing here. According to God's mercy, God's saying, you are mine. You have a living hope. You who trust in God for the forgiveness of your sins, do only by his mercy. Further, we should see His mercy not just in saving us, but in not destroying us as we deserve, but with great patience enduring us, forgiving our failures again and again and continually drawing us to Himself. This is good news. This is meant to give us hope. Peter says we are born to a living hope. The fact that God saves sinners and brings them from the death into life is hope but it's not just hope it's hope that lives why because it's tied to someone that lives it's tied to someone that's been raised Jesus is not dead I remember once a story about a kid crossing the street and the father tells the child to hold his hand and the child responds no you hold my hand Confused, the parent stops and says, what's the difference? The kid replies, if I hold your hand, there's a chance I will let go. But if you hold my hand, I know it will be secure through the entirety of our walk and can guarantee that I will be safe. Brothers and sisters, that's how we've got to consider our God. He holds us. It's not that we hold on to him. If you get into that thinking, it's very easy to say, well, I will grow tired. I will get weary. I will wear out. But no, the Bible is very clear. God holds us in the palm of his hand and we will not fall. We will not falter. We may stumble occasionally, but the Lord will keep us safe and secure. And that has been bought for you. It has been paid for. Oh, that, that we would grasp that this is secure and true for our lives. It's so much so, this is so important, this idea, this, this mindset of resurrection that, that Paul warns the church um, in the opposite in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. If there is no resurrection, then not Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain putting it plainly if there is no resurrection we're wasting our time there's much much more worldly profitable ways we could be spending our time together than reading and studying the word of someone who is not true he goes on in first corinthians 15 to say but because he is true he is your hope because he does live you too shall live This is historical fact that Christ was raised from the dead. We do believe in a resurrection. It's why we say our hope is living. Christ did not remain in the tomb. It is empty. It's precisely why all the crosses in our building are empty. You will not find a cross in this building with Christ upon it. Because he's not there. He faced death. And he defeated it. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And He's there now, making intercession for you. He's praying for you. Even this hour, He's promised it daily, continually, praying on your behalf to the Father and preparing a place for you. That's why we say our hope is living, because it is living and it is active. And it provides for us an inheritance. An inheritance. Um, He says in verse 4, An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept for you in heaven. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Your faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ is a faith that says he is coming back for me. He hasn't yet. Therefore, we're not done. Because when he's done... He's coming back. And you can be certain there will be nothing that will stop it. And oh, how often do we as Christians need to remember, unlike most stories where I would say it's a a grave sin to read the last chapter before you get to the end. Oh, we can break that rule uh, for the sake of our faith. Listen to me, please. I I, want to go over this quickly, but I want you to hear this. You need to know where we're headed Many of us, when we get weak in our faith, we forget this. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And true. This is what we're striving for, dear believers. This is the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept secure for us in heaven. It is our eternity with our God. Oh, my desire, my great desire for each one of you is that you today would have this fill your life because I know, just as Peter knew, that this is what you need. Because you will face trials. You will face persecution. You will face hardship. And this truth does not do away with that. But it comforts us through it. It gives you the strength to endure. Sometimes it doesn't even lessen the pain. But it points our attention and our focus on the end. On the goal. On the prize. Because Jesus is living. And here's the beauty of this. Well, I specifically speak to you today, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're here today and you don't trust in Jesus Christ, you can have this too. You are not excluded from this hope. You are not excluded from these promises, from these blessings. All you do is repent. Get on your hands and knees. Plea with God to forgive you and place your trust in Him and you too join this truth, this reality, this living hope. I honestly, I I sincerely, and this has weighed on my heart and mind a lot this week, I don't know how people who do not know Jesus Christ endure the trials of this life. I really don't. I don't understand. I don't get it. It makes me all the more zealous to want to preach this message because that's what they need. We know we need it, and we're believers, we who trust in Him. How much more do they that are lost? The beauty of this gospel message and our living hope and the resurrection of Jesus is it doesn't end there. That would be enough, though, wouldn't it? We could end there. Amen. Praise God. Let's move on. But it's, it, it works in us unto. It works in us unto many things. What I want to spend the rest of the time this morning looking at is just a few of those things. And like I said, there's seven truths here. Weirdly could have been about ten or twelve, but we clumped some of them together. At least seven truths that believing in the living hope of Jesus Christ will perform in you, will do for you, will equip and empower you to live as holy people. First, first, Rejoicing. Having this knowledge should and must drive you to rejoicing. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Having our hope, our living hope in Jesus Christ should cause us to rejoice, to celebrate, to give praise and glory unto Now, that's not to say rejoice when you feel like it. That's not to say when it is easy to do so. No. We're often called to rejoice when it's hard. David, at the loss of his child, he washed his face, he went and he worshipped God. Why? Because God is holy and he is worthy. And the fact that we have been saved should shake us to our core. And look, I get it. That will look different for each of us. Some of us are more stoic in our demeanors. Some of us express our joy more externally and some of us more internally, and that's okay. That does not diminish the level or quality of your joy. But we as Christians should be some of the most joyful people upon the earth. We've been given the greatest gift imaginable. God Himself saving us and calling us His own. Being merciful to us. Secondly, this living hope will help us endure grief. Grief from various trials. Now, it may be interesting to promise grief in a list of things that the gospel gives us. But as we mentioned last week, if you are in Christ, you will face trials. It's guaranteed. It's certain. It is a part of who you are. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Our living hope, Jesus, will see us through it. We often go to the greatest example. What is the worst thing that can happen to us in this life? We would um, almost always say death. But what is death but passage from this life into the next? From this life of temptation and hardship and trial to the very presence of God, of the one who was raised from the dead. Remember, he started there for a reason. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. Elsewhere, Paul says, if, he's, if Jesus has been raised, so too will you be raised, for he is the firstfruits. If there's a first fruits, there has to be a second fruits. And you are the second fruits. I know grammatically that gets a little weird, but that's the truth of it. Because he was raised, you will be raised. And that will strengthen you during times of trials and hardships. And note two little phrases Peter says here. Trials, if necessary, they're not always necessary. And also, they are for a little while. They will not last forever. They cannot In the eyes of eternity, what is but a little while, a few days, hours, years upon this earth? Our hope, our living hope in Jesus Christ will give us the strength to endure trials. Thirdly, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found. Genuineness genuineness of your faith i love one commentator explained this comparison like this genuine faith is more valuable to god than gold because he is a god who delights in being trusted and since god's evaluation of something is the ultimate standard peter's readers have a secure basis for a sense of ultimate meaning and importance in your lives the ultimate standard it cannot be trumped it will not be changed When God says that your faith is genuine, it is genuine. And it is precious. It's precious to you and it is precious to Him. This does not mean that we will escape trials. Rather, we will see that our faith is seen as greater because of them. Just as gold is purified again and again and again in the fires. Just because gold has to endure trials over and over and over again to become pure, so too we in a greater sense will endure and endure and endure to the glory of God and to our good. Fourthly, Peter says this genuineness will cause, and here's where I'm cheating a bit, praise, glory, and honor. Verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Another blessing, another characteristic of true faith in Jesus is praise and glory and honor. It will bring about in us the desire to glorify God. When you have endured seasons of trials and have come out on the other side, knowing that God sustained you, there will be praise. Look over and over. Look at the Red Sea. Look at many of the conquests of David. Look at many of the times in Scripture. What happens as they find themselves on the other side of a trial, on the other side of a hardship, on the other side of a difficulty, they burst into song. They celebrate. They delight in their God. Again, I recognize that this will look different in each of us. This will look different in our ways of expression, but that does not diminish what is taking place. Fifthly, this shall increase our love for God. Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you are." Love him. The verb here is in the present tense, indicating regular continual action. It's not you will once love him. No, it's you will daily, habitually, regularly, continually love him. Him being God, our living hope. It's a trusting in him because we know that he lives. It's a resting in him because we trust what he has done. It is a hoping in him because we believe he is coming back. It is a love that is almost beyond description. In fact, Peter does that work for us in our sixth characteristic. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We believe in Christ. We rejoice with joy. We are filled with the glory of Christ in a way that is almost inexpressible. A lot of Christians do try to express this and they do so in in awkward ways. And, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone this morning, but, but some will, will get graphic t-shirts that have Christian sayings and, and funny statements on it, and they will go out as a billboard. I'm, I'm prone to this, and I, Facebook pictures will tell you that there was a season in my life that this was the case, and we'll say, that is our evangelism to the world. Jesus gave all of his blood. You can give a pint. We had that during a blood drive once. And it's like, I am witnessing for Christ. hmm Maybe, maybe. There's nothing wrong with Christian t-shirts. I think they can be just fine as long as they're not blasphemous. But if you are a Christian, if you do believe in Christ, people shouldn't spend a large amount of time with you and walk away wondering what you believe. They shouldn't. There's no way if all of this is true and if this is produced in your life and someone spends lengthy time with you that they walk away going, I wonder what they believe. It should come out in all the aspects of our lives. Some mundane ways that this will come out. It should come out in how you conduct your business. It should come out in how you treat others. Some pet peeves of mine. It should come out in how you order food at a restaurant. How you walk your dog. How you re-rack the weights in the gymnasium. Every aspect of your life should be different because you are a Christian. Everything should be different. It should look different. We of all people should be the ones to say, you know, these are the rules. You know, this is what's good. You know, this would be helpful. You know, here's where I can live differently. Because I tell you, dear Christian, I I really tell you more so than that that Christian t-shirt, you start doing this and people will say, why are you the way you are? And then right there, Because of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right there is the gospel. Over and over we live it out. We profess it in our lives. We profess it in our words. We profess it in our thoughts. We profess it in our mood and in our demeanor. Now I'm not saying you have to be happy all the time. And I'm not saying you have to start the doxology when you stub your toe or cut your finger. But I'm saying it should look different. You should be different than this world. Think of Ebenezer Scrooge and 95% of the movie or the book. And you go, man, what a sorrowful chap he would have been if he would have professed Christ. You would look to him and go, well, I don't want that. But then we look at him at the end of the story, and I'm not saying this is what it's about necessarily, but you go, that, that's different. There's a changed man. There's a changed heart. There's a different attitude. There's a different relationship with others. That's what we're talking about here. This is what it should produce in you. And then ultimately, if all of this is not enough, and and we really flew through several of these, he Peter rounds out the list with the seventh characteristic: obtaining the outcome of your faith, the very salvation of your soul, eternal salvation, final rest. As we read in Revelation 21, no tears, no sorrow, no death, no sadness, the presence of God dwelling with you eternally. This is what trusting in a living hope produces. And you know the best part about all of that? Well, all of that is true. You already have it now. We don't have to wait till we get there. We're experiencing it now. It's why we're here this morning. We are worshiping God. We are delighting in His praise. We are singing unto Him. We are praying. We are fellowshipping as a foretaste of that which is to come. Dear Christian, I I know that different churches have different flavors and they do things a little differently according to that which they believe is is best and wise. But if you come to church and you're bored, what do you think you're going to do in heaven? How's that going to treat you? That's a good indicator. You need to check your heart. Because if this does not get you excited, then doing it for eternity certainly isn't either. But if that hope is living, and that hope is sure, and that hope is true, these things will be in your life. In various degrees. We all grow at different paces. We all are sanctified at different rates. But they will be there. I hope that you're filled with joy this morning. I can't tell you how much fun it was this week to prepare. In some weeks, breaking into the Word of God and, and, and delving into the depths is just that. It is a labor. And it should be. I gladly take it on and I enjoy every moment of it. But I, I tell you what... This is a joy. And as I was listening to Richard Baxter and Reformed Pastor, I'm I'm nearing the end of his book. If you don't feel that joy this week, this day, it's partially on me. It's partially on me. Because it's my job to live out that joy before you and to express it to you in a way that you go, yes. Yes. That is what I want. So my prayer has been all week. and My prayer before you this morning has been, Oh Lord, give me enough joy for you that you would give it to your people. And I trust that he's done it. Because at the end of the day, I can't do it perfectly. I can't do it fully. I can't do it on my own strength, but he can. And so my hope and prayer for you as you go out into the world this week is that you are overcome with the love and joy of a living Savior. We don't trust someone who is history. We trust someone who is present, who is future. And the victory is secured and guaranteed because it's not due to us, but to one who is interceding for us even now. Amen. Let us go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do face trials Difficult seasons, hard moments in this life. We do so because we love you and because we trust in you. And you've promised that they will strengthen our character, that they will draw us closer to you, that they will sharpen us and refine us as gold in a fire. But even in those seasons, together as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we with one another endure those Times with joy not a fading happiness that's here today and gone tomorrow but a true sincere joy that is anchored in the living Savior oh we need this living hope today the church needs it now just as it did in this time of Peter's writing would you strengthen us for the journey ahead for we are certainly to need you if we are to endure we pray all of this in Christ Jesus name Amen.